The following views and opinions expressed on Joy Has Questions podcast are not to be confused and or affiliated with any other corporations, companies, businesses, LLCs, and any other acronym that you can possibly think of. Basically, these are my own opinions on my own platform. And now everybody, let's get on with the show. Hey, good people. It's your girl Joy Has Questions, dropping some new fire for you all to listen to for the week. Starting with, you guessed it, you better know. This week we hail St. Elmo Brady. Sorry, Kanye, you were not the first to name your child Saint. He was the first African American to obtain a doctorate in chemistry in the United States. I'm going to say that again. The first African American to obtain a doctorate in chemistry in the U.S., He received his doctorate at the University of Illinois in 1916. Lastly, looking at his picks, he was definitely a zaddy. Like, Elmo was out here looking like, I will tick you anytime. Born on December 22nd, 1884 in Louisville, Kentucky, he was greatly influenced by Thomas W. Talley, a pioneer in the teaching of science, as well as the original STEM promoter. Hello. Not to mention, he was mentored by Booker T. Washington and George Washington Carver. Like, talk about goals. Those are two of the top African-American researchers as well as sociological fathers of our time. Brady received his bachelor's degree from Fisk University in 1908 at the age of 24 and immediately began teaching at Tuskegee Institute in Alabama. From there, he went on to HU, a.k.a. Howard University, where he eventually became the Dean of Chemistry. After he accepted the role of Dean at this chemistry department, he was the epitome of like the Jeffersons, like from one Dean apprenticeship to another. Not just wanting to come up on his own, Brady founded the first ever graduate studies program at a black college slash university. This was a man who understood the importance of science in the black community and did his damnedest to push the needle forward. So shout out to you, Papa Brady, for not only talking the talk, but walking the walk. Hey everybody, I cannot even believe that it is season two already. I am back, ready to go. I did a lot of thinking in terms of how I really wanted to present this season. And when I was thinking about my segment, so according to IG, I realized, so I don't give a fuck about these people. Like every week it's the same shit. Somebody done slept with somebody. Chris Brown and call somebody darker than a paper bag ugly. Uh, Rihanna still ain't gave us an album. Beyonce. Uh, we can just run through the list. Like it's going to be consistent fuckery or greatness. We all know. So I really wanted to think about something that I thought would be a great way for us to educate each other, still have a fun time shooting the shit, talking about how we are relating to different topics as black millennials, um, Gen Xers. You're also welcome to join in if y'all ain't too angsty. Um, And that made me think of a segment that I really wanted to highlight based on the fact that Creative technologist is a term that I have heard for a couple of years. It's been growing. I think it perfectly describes myself as well as my friend circle. And the fact that we are bomb as fuck. We're always leveraging technology, even when we don't realize we're doing it. We will take shit from beating on a desk to making the grinding beat 
to them being, you know, multi award winning millionaire producers. And that's just one example. So I was thinking about people that I was like, who do I vibe well with? Who is a fucking nerd just like I am, but I'm like that way in history and she is totally that way on the tech side. And I think that's just like amazing to see her say, stay true to herself and then still be so popping, so fly. Wash and go always looks juicy. Just coming through with black girl magic. So for this season two, I got my girl Gabby Krebker, AKA No Way She Codes. And this season is the new segment... I was trying to do a drum roll. <laughs> it didn't work. Of Geeked Up, where we talk about everything in terms of technology, how we're le- No, she going to talk about it because after X plus Y, I don't, I don't even know combinations. <laughs> but no, where we are, you know, bouncing back and forth, talking about everything tech related and how young black millennials are really pushing the needle forward and making this shit pop and be amazing. So, hey, boo. Hi. First of all, uh, you said wash and go is always juicy. Yeah. That's a caption right there. <laughs> that is a goal. When y'all see it, just know <laughs> that's all joy. <laughs> no, that's always a goal. I feel the first thing the ancestors attack when they know we ain't living right are our edges. Okay. Then everything else favor wise just goes down from them because they know how much we love our hair. <laughs> They're like, oh. So you didn't want to stand up today? That's why your cowling keep coming up. I don't care how much edge control you use. I can't stand you. <laughs> but no, love, I'm so happy to have you doing this segment. Um, I, I see how much you put into it. You truly love having young black and brown girls realize, and, and boys as well, that they have a place within tech, more specifically have a place like actually coding within tech because Lord knows the only codes I'm cracking is none. Like I don't, I have no security codes. I have no <laughs> no coins, decades to blue. <laughs> so that's the only like, code yes. you crack. Your future man's iPhone code. Boom. Boom. You boom. know, but we're <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. Triggering. <laughs> Try to figure out fingerprints. You're like Gabby. What? Like how do I do this? Been there, actually. Been there. Girl, stop. But no, let's just. Jump right into it then. So in terms of, I know, um, a topic that you really wanted to push to the forefront. Tell me, because I don't know what the hell you have planned. So we just going to jump right into it. Okay, so I think the first topic to discuss um, in the segment we're calling Geeked Up. Hey. Okay. Uh, and Geeked Up is A, the many spaces of technology that us black people could be getting into. So we are uh, hurting ourselves because we are not, as a community, not exposing everyone and everything to all the technology spaces that we can be a part of. But you know what the great thing is? There are many leaders out here today Mm -hmm. um, that are actually trying to get more of us into these spaces. So just to give some examples, um, we have a group in Chicago uh, I just learned about called I Play Games. And (gasps) I Play Games is all about getting... a good double entendre. Hello. It's all... (laughs) (laughs) It is all about getting young... Younger black women, well, I don't want to say younger, but uh, black men and women of all ages to get into professional um, video game sports. So, like, when you play, like... 2K. Yeah, well, no, it's still 2K. Yeah, it's still 2K. When you're playing, like, yeah, NBA 2K or when you're playing Madden, like, things like that. But that's, people do actually do it professionally. 
Wait, pe- I'm sorry. You exactly. can make money off of Yes, that? yes, yes. And we have our black kids just sitting here in their living room not making any money. So the purpose of I Play Games is to, is to teach them how to, A, play on different consoles because you compete differently on different consoles, and B, get them into the spaces where they're actually making money, making it a profession, because people don't know about that. Well, bitch, let me pop off your I'm tips saying, real quick. I'm yes. So I, I learned about I Play Games and met, met the creator. He's super dope, super awesome. And I was like, damn, that he really took his passion and like turned it into something that benefits the community and i was like shout out to you my dude oh okay um then we have other stuff where or on the other side like sugar gamers where it's um more so getting women of all colors but it's actually run by a black woman named keisha shout out to keisha um to get more women into the space of creating games playing games and getting comfortable and owning themselves absolutely love them um hopefully i collab with them one day but that's his local oh space. it's just around the river bend listen i'm so excited <laughs> out you're reaching engagements this bitch take off i'm like, trying you are out here doing it i'm so proud of you and then of course that and those are just like local places in chicago but of course like international stuff like black girls code is a big mm-hmm. thing there there's there are so many organizations out there trying to get our community, our black community into these tech spaces in different ways. And something that a lot of people don't know about is a lot of companies days, A, are hiring people that don't have degrees. So you can legit be a software engineer like me and didn't go to college. Google and, got rid of that. Yes, Like completely. that requirement. Starbucks did, yep. a couple other places. Yep. So it's like, that's super dope. If you could just show you have the skills some way, somehow, boom, you got the job. And common sense also needs to be, I don't. I never see a degree for that, so. Um, okay. <laughs> but then there's also a lot of companies who have trans- transitionary programs for people who may be like in, you know, older, already in their career, but want to transition into tech. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's actually a great one at Microsoft that one of my friends applied to and she was in, I think like marketing and she just finished the program. It's like a six-month program. They learned to code, and now she's a full-blown software engineer at Microsoft. Wait, did she also, was she a part of Black Girl Code? Yeah. That young lady, yes. Yeah. I was following her journey, like, yeah. looking her name like is, her name is Her name is Sharita. I might not have gotten her previous job correct. I'm sorry, Sharita. But um, she's, she is thriving right now. I, see yeah. her. I just saw her recently um, a couple months back, and she's just so happy. So it's like programs like that that are out there that are getting people up and running boot camps. Like, there is... The resources out there that our community needs to know about. Um, and just even the fun stuff that they should get into. You know, like more lighthearted stuff. But just making them feel comfortable to be in those spaces because I don't think they're intu- introduced to us young. Like, oh, you should be comfortable in those spaces at all times. So... I think that, number one, those, pro- not even programs, but those company businesses, like the brands that you just named, shout out to y'all because I'm like, that is fucking incredible. But I think also for me, it's just the thing of... It's helped bridging that gap because you get into these recruiting conversations or you start like, oh, well, who do we invite or how much, you know, ramp do we have to give them? Oh, they don't know what they're doing. And it's just like, well, society hasn't really set it up so that yep. we know what we're doing. Like in if, even in Chicago or maybe like in some places in New York or any thriving urban, you know, landscape. When are you ever pushing STEM? into young, predominantly black or brown schools. I mean, there's even like another organization, National Society of Black Engineers. So usually you join them. I don't want to say usually, but at a collegiate level, that's how I found out about them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I joined when I was in college, but then there's like alumni, Nesby, and there's even Nesby Junior, where, you know, when you're in 
high school and middle school where there's programs where they teach them STEM and kind of the goal of Nesby Junior is to guide you all the way up to like Nesby alum but then you go to like the big Nesby conventions and it's great especially when you're in a collegiate level because that's where people get jobs that's where the big major companies are that's where there's tons of workshops to teach the soft skills and the hard skills there's hackathons there's all those things and it's like people don't realize that these organizations are out there trying to like give you a safe space teach you something new or just Hell, have a good time. Like, you know, so. There's more to us than, like, basketball and, you know, being an athlete. And and no shame. Now I'm completely, what is it? I'm not athlete shaming, right? I'm literally saying, like, there are more than one ways to skin a cat and get a check. Especially when, like, we're looking at technologies, how much they pay. Like, you can make a very nice living within the technology. That's very true. Shoot, we just found out you can make a nice living out of playing games professionally. Hello? Okay. I mean, I do kind of regret the one time I canceled my ex's 2K score. It was, like, his all-time score. I didn't know what it was. He made me mad. I hate you. (laughs) (laughs) like, Like, he... We discussed this. It was the one time I thought I was about to be hit by a man because, <laughs> like, I could see his face, like, go to a place of, like... Listen, they put in work, okay? It was the all-time score, they put girl. They put in work for those things. So, <laughs> honestly, if I was him, I'd be mad at you, too. <laughs> I think it might have been what led to our demise. I cannot. But, no. Okay, so that's really amazing. I guess even just asking you in terms of how one would even find these, you know, or so programs, even if you're interested. I know, like, case in point, there's Google AdWord accreditations that people sometimes can do on their own. Like, they'll mm-hmm. have the cheat sheet, you know, to to read up on. Um, there's also, like, search engine land. There's Bing accreditation that you can get. I'm pretty sure they have. Oh, no, Facebook ads has a shit ton of it. If you have your own brand, I highly suggest, like, go through their stuff and see, like, how you can really use their Facebook business solutions. But in general, what advice would you give people, like, who maybe they are just like, look, is it a hashtag I start to follow? Maybe I don't care about the coding. Like, what did you do? I mean, there's so many things. Okay, this is I'm trying to think. What did I do, huh? Um, There's so many things. It did start with hashtags, like, just, like, Black women in gaming or blurred. Blurred is a big thing. Black nerd blurred. Yes. That is a big hashtag because it like fits a whole realm of black nerds that fit in so many different um, different categories. Um, what else did I look up? Just nerdy, nerd, nerdy girl, nerdy me. You just, you know, and things just pop up on the internet or I do like tech news is a good one where it shows uh-huh. a cool new gadgets that just came. Um, I can't even think of others, but, and of course like just searching stuff like, well, actually, one of my biggest favorite apps to use is IGN. So they have a lot of good stuff with up-and-coming tech coming out, movies, um, video games. IGN is like one of my go-to's for a lot of my resources on stuff that I talk about. So they're awesome. Okay. Yes. That's actually super – like, I'm like, let me write this down. Bird, <laughs> IGN. They yes. actually just did a, a Lion King review. Mm. I haven't seen any bad Lion King reviews, though. I saw the Rotten Tomatoes. I don't know if people... Rotten Tomatoes did 80%, 87 I saw 58 at first. Well, it depends. Is it is that the people? Because, you know, sometimes based off people or based off, like, what they actually think. Mm. So what I want to say what they actually thought was 80%, but I don't trust Rotten Tomatoes all the time. I don't after I realized that people were, like, intentionally using it to be racist. Yeah. <laughs> and I was just like, are yeah. you really going to try and tank a rating? No, like- IGN is really just, like, a, like, they go to the premiere and, like, someone writes it. Like someone on their staff or whatever. I'm standing. But it, they had a good, they had a good for it. So I'm not. Okay. Saying, I'm yeah. standing <laughs> in this truth on Pride Rock and I just, I just hear call and responses at times to what I would envision 
someone telling their fans to say, not necessarily what they want to say. The actual <laughs> character they're playing. And I'm just going to leave it there. And I will also say this. I am not reserving that for this one particular um, singer entertainer. I am also reserving this for the male counterpart. Because all I heard was earn and childish like halfway through the trailer. I think it's an excellent example. And I know we're kind of diverting. But I just feel like it's an excellent example of when you... God damn it. I said the same thing was no Beyonce didn't hear it happen. But the point, the point is, I just think it's an excellent example of sometimes when you deal with super polarizing figures, not saying that their talent, you know, not saying that they didn't no, earn it or no, no, to no, be a superstar, but sometimes the talent can or the, the aura around the talent can completely overtake what it is that they're doing. Because anything else that's been live action, I have yet to see memes of this nature. I mean, I've been putting them up. Don't get me wrong. Because <laughs> that Simba roll up the partition, please, is a bop. No, like, that thing was hilarious. Because that's definitely going to be my ass. But that's, but that's also like a big part of technology. Like, right. You know, the whole idea of like what black Twitter is. And leveraging that is huge. creativity with it. That is huge. Because I think it's like, it is a skill and art form the way that um, black Twitter kind of like takes something, you know, Instantly. on TV and just like flips it and it becomes like trending. And I had to explain to one of my white counterparts that everyone in, essentially is a part of black Twitter. Once you retweet that meme or you share it with your friends, mm-hmm. you're now a part of black Twitter. You just have to understand the origins of where these things that you find funny are coming from. But that's still a big part of tech. Like black Twitter is a big driver for Twitter. A huge driver for Twitter. Like half the thing half the things that Black Twitter posts also go into Facebook, go into Instagram. Like, you know, it's like reaching so many hands. It's like people don't even realize it's a like, subsect onto itself. But people don't realize like that's uh, that's a skill set of what you're doing. Like, or when you're just scrolling and then it's like, uh, sweetie, these are native ads. Like you're hello? still leveraging right. that. Or if you're using like some sort of video, you know, app and now you're sitting there editing your pictures that you putting up or you know edit like you're still leveraging technology and mm-hmm. it's just a matter of like clicking it and making it realize that you, that's what you're doing so um so happy to have this segment now with you everyone i hope you got a taste of it i know i was a hypocrite and said i wasn't gonna talk about pop culture but you know what i think like you said pop culture is still tied into technology All time. So. everything is tied into tech these days oh well get over it i did it <laughs> <laughs> but no so i can't wait to have you on next week love and for everyone here um and yes we will make sure to have like your handles and all that good stuff so people know to be like ah, this is no way she calls segment Ew. yeah <laughs> <laughs> Y'all, I cannot believe that it has been as long as it has since I've like done my show. Um, definitely just took some time to myself. Knew I wanted to come with even bigger, better format. I like my head is like about to pop off. I feel like I need like the Jamaican air horns in the back. Like, pew, pew. <laughs> like oh my god! I am so happy, happy to be back, especially to have this young woman who is going to be my first interview for season two of Joy Has Questions. Really? Yes, that's special. Okay. You are, you are. Like, you definitely set me on my path in oh terms Lord. of being more comfortable doing things, you know, on the outside, kind of like collaborating mm-hmm. with people, realizing it can go well. Yeah. Um. Without further ado, I'm going to introduce this young woman. Um, I met her through my whoa, my amazing bestie, Sean Gadley. Sean. 
yes, um, came to, you know, work with her brand, uh, Welcome to the Path, a bomb-ass digital uh, platform that she had called The Exchange, which I thought was just phenomenal. Um, got to meet some other amazing black creative technologists and just really got to vibe out and create a body work that we were all proud of. Yes, oh my and then on top of it, she's just like trying to snatch LLCs left and right. I'm like, Yay. she actually now has a, a second brand and business that she's building called Love Dot that I'm going to let her dive into more. But without further ado, my girl, my homie with the most beautiful edges, brightest smile, I have Nika Uday. Hi, love. Hey, How girl. are you? Joy, I love you for the intro. And you said I had edges. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> They growing back, she noticed. Yeah, girl, <laughs> let me tell you something. When the ancestors approve, mm-hmm. that's when your hair stays intact. I know, I know. I'm like, when you don't have that ancestral girl, blessing, see what happens. Lack of edges is a black woman's kryptonite. You know what? Let's get away from the hair topic, because mm-hmm. Chris Brown already has me triggered beyond triggered. Yeah. And he him. about to make me, like, snatch this frontal off my head. I'm like, and slapping <laughs> with it. I can't. I just, I can't. <laughs> But I'm going to move, like, dive right into you. Um, how in the world did you look up one day and say, I have, like, not one business, but two. I'm a force to be reckoned with in Chicago. I'm definitely, like, building a platform here. Like, how did that happen? Girl, you know, you gonna get right to it. I, I am just trying to be the best version of myself. Mm. And it helps when you have... Someone in your corner that's definitely supporting you all along the way. But I just think that we live in a time where the old rules of like wait your turn and oh, you can't be multiple things are kind of gone and broken. And I have a lot of creative energy and a lot of creative passion. And I am just the type of person, I'm a true Capricorn through and through, like the type of person who has an idea and wants to see it through. And I just, have stopped acting for asking for permission. I just want to go after the things that I want to do and eventually get to a place where right now I feel like I'm not chasing money or the Mm. hype. I'm just really chasing what I love. And I know that's going to one day turn into like real money that can pay off these student loans. So I think what you said is actually super powerful because it reflects a mindset that I've actually heard every successful person, you know, reflect once you get out of that mindset of, you know, I have to do this necessarily for the dollar or for the cloud or for what it provides. Like when it's something that you truly give a fuck about, you know, mm-hmm. and then you look up and it's like the money's always going to come. Oh, you yeah. Know, what it is comes. your foundation? Yeah. And the thing I can honestly say is that I feel like I'm blessed with where I am in my career, mm-hmm. where I have a career that although can be annoying, I essentially love what I do. I love parts of what I do. Not necessarily probably always where I do it, mm-hmm. but it's enough you know, I earn well to be able to put my energy into other places. So it allows me to be, one, take some of the energy out of, like, the political bullshit that you go through, being a black woman in any type of corporate field, even Woo! if it is advertising and Mahalia far more Jackson laid back. is touching my shoulder right you know, now. Like, like honestly, off. if I look at myself now being where I am versus where I was, like, maybe seven years ago, mm-hmm. still ambitious, still trying to figure out how do I like make my wave in, the, in whatever industry I'm in, but taking way too much on the chest, being way too sensitive about the things happening around me. I literally like, it's like night and day. Cause at this point I'm not, I, I'm still producing, but I also know that like, you know what? 
I'm not going to put all this energy into all this drama and BS that's going over here, all these microaggressions. I'm going to be real clear mm-hmm. and put you in your place, so to speak, and play the game. But my real energy is going into these other things that I really care about. Because one day, I want to give you the two-finger salute, which is a peace sign, and be out. And I'm just doing my own thing. I think that's something that a lot of times people... It's that balance, right? Mm-hmm. Because one aspect of that can't fuel the other can help legitimize the other and that's the song and dance that i always say like you should never knock someone who isn't just necessarily quote unquote a starving artist yo first of all i don't like starving starving is overrated (laughs) i have the worst um, diet ever i have you know high expectations immaculate taste which makes me which is really hard to be starving Mm because like West uh, like, Elm is not things. gonna give you credit for what we think you can buy. Exactly, in the future. and so and I have real responsibilities, and it's at the same time, it's like it's it's not cute to be like trying to figure out at I'll be thirty eight this year, trying to figure out okay, what should I be putting into my four hundred one k or can I? Right. You know what I mean? Like you still have to balance, and you know we're blessed enough to even though we want to start a family, not really at that point yet. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, well, you know, this is the hustle. This is the grind. But trying to do it smart. And also my biggest challenge, I feel like, is just trying to remind myself to be productive and not busy. And also, I mean, balance is a tricky thing. But part of that balance is not overextending yourself to people. Because I love the idea of... Being a mentor, being the person that the power people can, of saying no, right, can come to, and not feeling guilty about when you have to say no, mm-hmm. right? Like I feel like I'm always there when it's needed. I'm always the friend that, hey, I need a website built. I need this, this, and that done. And we friends. I'm gonna try to figure out how to do how it to do for it, you. Right. But at the same time, it's like now, like I'm investing energy into these things that I really care about and that I really love, and so I have to figure out how to strategically say no. <laughs> And or like just open up another door for somebody else and them know that may be great at doing those things to help you out, but I I can't take on everything and that balance is really the biggest trick right now when you have a lot of things going on, a lot of ambition and just trying to figure out what's next and not put so right. much pressure on yourself where all of a sudden like you're paralyzed to get anything done. <laughs> Tell me about it, like depression and simultaneous anxiety yeah. is real. Um, so let's even take a step back. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, we know where you are currently in the strides that you're making and the lessons that you've learned, but mm-hmm. how did you get to this point? Like, are you from Chicago? Did you start your career here? Like, oh did you wake God. up one day and say, fuck this, I'm going for mine. Like, how did this all come about? Yeah. So I am from Chicago, born and raised. Ew. It's always funny. Cause I'm like, I feel like I am like a interesting diaspora story. So my mom and my mom's side of the family are like strong Southern Mississippi roots. Uh, my father and stepfather are both Nigerian, um, so I really have a very strong personality that comes from both sides mm-hmm. of the equation, even though I grew up more so with my mom's side. Um, but went to school down at U of I, came back up here, went to grad school at Loyola, got my MBA, hey. started working right away, even when I was in grad school, um, in advertising and all these little random types of strategy roles, but took a very like roundabout way of getting to kind of where I am now, like not even trusting the process, so to speak, but just being given opportunities that I just felt like I couldn't turn down, even though I was scared to death, didn't really know what the hell I was doing, was overthinking, overdoing, not really understanding exactly how to network my way or like really play the political game to the best of my ability. Cause I always 
try not to think about it, but I always feel like, you know, for the experiences that I've been lucky enough to have thus far in my like professional career, I should be much further along, right? Mm. Because literally at 25, I had the CEO of my agency at the time come back and say, hey, you used to work for me. I know you're in grad school. I knew you took time off to go to grad school, but we're about to launch this other agency over here with funding from Michael Roth at IPG, mm-hmm. and we want you to come back and be a part of it. Like, that's kind of a big deal for somebody who really doesn't know, like, her front from her back at this point, right? Right. Like, working for three years, but did enough work that was impressive to the right types of people. And so it took a lot of knock, like, knocks, so to speak, to kind of figure out exactly how to maneuver in the right way. Um, and, you know, one of the biggest challenges that we all have is, like, well, you're in the first of your family to really kind of break out and do things different, whether you're coming from an immigrant family or you're coming from, you know, just a first-generation college student. Mm-hmm. It's, you, you really are figuring it out, right? You may not always have people who are right there that can understand the, the heights that you're going to because they've gotten you to a certain threshold. Or they're well-meaning, but it's like, yeah, that's right. their cap. That's their cap. And so now you got to figure out, you know, what's next. And I've been blessed enough to have enough people kind of meet me along the way and be open enough to be able to listen, take advice, and just also be very reflective. So I've had a really interesting 15-year agency career on the strategy side, consumer strategies. I've worked for some really big agencies, which I will not name, um, but on some really interesting clients from like Maker's Mark to Coca-Cola to Sears Kmart, um, Cracker Barrel, of all restaurants. It's very interesting. Okay, so Cracker Barrel. Yeah. Just a quick side note. Mm-hmm. Whenever I would go in there, I love the little triangle game that they uh-huh. always had on the uh-huh. table, but it always just gave me slight Sunday brunch for the Great Dragon or mm-hmm. like for the Grand. And it was just like, okay, well. Yeah, <laughs> the environment piece of Cracker Barrel was something that we're always trying to figure out. Yeah. Especially when they were trying to get to a place where they wanted to be more inclusive of all audiences. Because sometimes you walk in, not sometimes, you always walk in and have this sense of, am I? The one in Rockford still gets scared. I'm like, do I want food? Right. Like, am I, should I be back there serving the food? Right. Making the food? Will I be in chains? Like, yeah, it's a very, very interesting vibe or whatever. But, um, yeah, so I've worked on a lot of interesting stuff. And I always go after opportunities that I find interesting. Because at some point, um, I can say, like, halfway through my career thus far, I realized that a lot of what I was doing wasn't necessarily aligned to the places I wanted to go. Mm-hmm. Meaning that I had to get to a place where, like, mentally I'm working for myself. Mm-hmm. So I'm doing what you asked me to do, but I have this curiosity that is allowing me to bring other things to the table. And taking on projects that were more white space projects. They were undefined. It was 2011 and Coca-Cola is coming to the agency and saying like, hey, all these consumer technologies are out there. We're trying to figure out exactly what should we actually be paying attention to. And because we're an agency of like a very small amount of people, right? It's like, okay, so hey, you go and do this project. And sometimes I felt like I was being given projects Mm-hmm. Just to see whether I was gonna pass, like I was gonna like, oh, the sink busy one, yeah. Can she handle it? Right. Is she comfortable? Right. But I'm like, I always swim. Like, in matter of fact, like I can't really swim in real life, but I'll do a butterfly on your ass. Right. On this one, right. <laughs> so I'd be Olympic style sw- swimmer. But um, yeah, it was always these really, really cool, interesting things that would pop up, and I would always be the one to either be put on the 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 block to 
figure out if I can do it or raising my hand to figure out like if I can do it. And so it's like, you know, if that's like the tone of my career, I just feel like I'm an intellectual hustler in that way. Right. right? Like I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to find ways to like get, not just get stuff done, but always have a POV of what's coming and what the future really looks like. But then when I took a step back, maybe like three, four years ago, it's like, well, you know, I have all these other interests. Right. And my day-to-day doesn't necessarily feel So how do you close that that. gap? So how do I close that gap? And I don't know what the trigger point was for me, to be honest. I feel like it was a lot of different life events that just, I mean, they were happening to me. Um, And it helped me to really think differently about where I was going and what I wanted and my role in making things happen for myself. And so I got to a place where it's was like, you know, I don't need permission to start something. And it's also nice to be at a time, I feel like in the last four or five years, where you see far more people that look like us mm-hmm. making strides that are amazing and giving themselves permission to starting platforms that are now like multi-million dollar ventures or have the, the attention of big industries, right? And so it got to a place where it was like, you know, I'm just as talented. I'm just as smart. I'm not doing this for the glory, but it's, I'm doing this because it's something in my day-to-day, although I love being in marketing, I love being in advertising, I love this intersection of strategy and creativity, I'm not fully being fulfilled in the work that I'm doing that I'm getting paid a salary to do. So can I invest some of that money that I'm earning over here into some of these other projects that are on my mind that I want to get done? And so that kind of landed me into a space of merging together all of these passion points that I have, which is really empowerment of the diaspora, really thinking about mm-hmm. tech in a very interesting and streamlined way in the intersection of like brands and tech and culture and business um, and landing in a place where like we need a platform, we need a space where people can really come to, people of color, and eventually just turn into like the African diaspora can mm-hmm. come to and really see what the power of their ideas, how that comes to life and how that really manifests. And that's where kind of Welcome to the Path was born out of. It's taken a couple different iterations from there. Right. Um, which is to be Evolution expected. Is, Evolution is brand but building. It's really about looking at the intersection of business, tech, and culture and really elevating our voices, elevating our stories, and elevating what innovation means in our communities. Right? Like, whoever thought it can be a marketplace where you sell nothing but weave and it's founded by two, uh, two brothers and an Asian guy. Wow. Right? Like, whoever thought that you can have different solutions that are just relevant relevant to the needs that are embedded in communities of color right. and tech being something that you can place on top of that and making things happen. I think the thing is, and you actually hit it on the head, it's like we we have the tools, and the thing is we may not know what the formal mm-hmm. title is, but we understand the definition, right? Mm-hmm. So a lot of times when people are like, you know, doubting us, it's based on their world, which is they don't want to step into our world, right. though. So I they think, don't want to step into it until they realize there's money there. Oh, definitely. They, they don't want like, to capitalize well, on the heartbeat. Yeah, come mm-hmm. on, Old Town Road all the way to right. the bank, you know? And I think the biggest thing for us, or a learning lesson for me, mm-hmm. Was go or you're celebrated. Like mm-hmm. sometimes we're always trying to, oh, break this market and appease to the majority. I don't give a damn about the majority. I want to celebrate us. Yep. Because we never have that opportunity, mm-hmm. you know? And let's be real. The fact that celebration of our melanin is considered a radical thought. Like yeah. it's radicalized to feel good about mm-hmm. myself. 
to but give somebody a shout and out. And so much of that has it has such strong historical roots and like oh, slavery. Definitely. Yeah. The sense of no, don't speak up. You can't be celebrated. You can't be happy because that means something right. to those who are in power, right? And you see it still trickle down today. Where expressing it's like opinion. You expressing your opinion, you being proud of who you are, you walking into the room with too much swag, so to speak, somehow puts other people on high alert, right? Right. Like, all of a sudden, it's like, well, you just, you're so intense. No, I'm being me. Right. And it's okay for you to have your, your, your moment. I don't have a passive-aggressive playbook right. to use. Exactly. If we, if this whole point of being in these different kind of business or corporate environments or just social environments is to be able to learn how to work with people who are very different, have different personalities, that should also span different cultural, like, underpinnings. Meaning that if you can deal with Joe over here, who's high strung and all this other stuff, don't tell me you can't deal with me because I'm very direct and to the point. I don't need to beat around the bush. If I can say it in three words... I'm not about to give you 15. Or if everybody talk boss, you know, answers the question, and, not, and that's what it is. But right. with me, you want me to smile, and you just, you seem like you're just having a day. Like, right. you're, are you defensive? No, and I'm who not who said defensive. it was a part of a job description where I have to come in smiling all the damn time? I have to be efficient and effective. Right. I don't have to entertain y'all. Right. Um, so even when it comes down to it then, in the sense of welcome to the path, and like you said, the different iterations, how has that, you know, been for you on a, your mental journey in the sense of like, oh, you, we all start, you know, having mm-hmm. maybe a set business plan. And then when you look at kind of even the end product, you see how it's morphed. And then like maybe a year or two, mm-hmm. you're like, good Lord, this is changing. And by year three, you're like, what the hell am I doing? So what was that like for you in the sense of like balancing out the fact that it's a part of the journey, making those mistakes, making those, you know, changes? Uh, yeah, I think I initially, in a, a I'll be honest, I probably still am. Just getting over the fear of it not being what you want it to be, mm-hmm. um, of not really knowing the direction that things are going to eventually go in. Like, you are building from a clear vision and mission. Now, the rest of that blueprint is yet to be fully defined. You can have a idea, you can have a really generic business plan to get started. But there are tailwinds and headwinds that come from a marketplace that you can't always predict. And let's also be real, when you're working full time and you're trying to get this thing, other thing off the ground, it's not always easy, right? Especially when you're in a digital space where not everybody is a writer. Everybody is, has some type of POV and everybody's like, well, I can build out my own platform. So I feel like now versus maybe five years ago, collaboration just getting people to the table and getting quality people to the table to be able consistency. to consistency right to be able to write articles around what's happening in a space that are not opinion driven but actually have some sense of like a journalistic tinge to them right. that's really you had really to difficult do research right and so i feel like it's been very it's been difficult right like it's been a little bit of stop and start like scaling back starting with a vision that may like be tenfold and kind of scaling back to at least get started to things that are practical that you can consistently do on a regular basis while you're building the following while you're building you know engagement of some sort Mm -hmm. and some sort and allowing that to bring people to you who are going to one understand exactly what you're trying to do and two be contributors in that process right the other piece of the puzzle is being okay with asking people to do things 
and not always feeling like, okay, well, I can't compensate. You know, we're just starting out. Like, how do you get people? How do we barter? How, how do we barter? How do we build community? How do we collaborate in ways that are going to be effective on both sides and not being afraid to like put things out there and like mm-hmm. go for it or whatever? I've always been a very conscious person of negotiate to a point, but when somebody tells me what their price point is on something, I respect that. Right. I respect people's time because I know how it feels like to be on the other side of that, right? I and think so, there's a way to do it. It is definitely a way to do it, yeah. Because a lot of times, like, we see these horror stories on, like, the shade room and Ball Alert and mm-hmm. something like, I don't have that much money. Can you just do it for me? I'm like, have you lost your mind? Right. Like, I'm the person that will always say, can you just tell me what your price points right. are if it's a little bit north of what I can afford? Big ups to you and your business. And then mm-hmm. you keep searching. And half the time... Whenever I've come to somebody like that, they'll be like, okay, well, what can you do? Exactly. And that's a, what's it was been. a respect thing. Exactly. Not me right. dictating, like, what it should well, be. Well, your shit ain't even that good. No, right. then go to the person that you think can do it for right. less. And the thing is, is like, value is such a subjective thing, right? Like, if you really value the work that somebody is doing, even if it's sometimes out of your price point, sometimes you'll hustle to figure out how you can work with that person. If you think there's something there that, actually could really really be a benefit and if it's not okay right like it's not that big of a deal to take it on like on the chin the way I think I've seen some people do where it's like well why are you charging so much like Mm -hmm. it's not my place to question where you want to be or what you think your value is exactly at all it's just whether or not I can afford you and if I think it's worth going down that route versus doing something different I think that's a, a super big thing. I think also what you said that really stood out to me when you were talking about collaboration and consistency. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's, I've been blessed to say for the most part, mm-hmm. I have had great collaborative, you know, relationships. Um, ours was yeah. great. I was like, okay, let me, let me, yep. you know, get to meet this other popping ass, you know, person. Also like Sean, like was totally like, She's dope. She's fucking awesome. Yeah. The best. So I think the thing is when it comes to how you're able to navigate at times like the Chicago scene, because I feel like collaboration comes with the cost here. And I understand the importance of no, no pun intended, but finding your tribe, finding the people, you know, who really are going to support you and not what they think you can offer. Mm hmm. What have been like some positive and even negative experiences? Like what have, has been your learning lessons from that in the sense of like maybe times where collaboration went well versus times you were like, oh, bitch, never again. Yeah. Um, so I'll speak to the positive stuff because I feel like I, I, I'm pretty good at spotting things that may not feel Pan. right. Got you. And I'm very much so a vibe person. So I, if it doesn't feel right, if I don't feel like I can build a relationship with you and I actually want to be around you without it being awkward, I don't even bother mm-hmm. trying to like go down an extra route. And I've had some moments where for certain, you know, companies it's like, yeah, you know, I'll come on and I'm, you know, I think what you're doing is great or whatever, whatever. And it just, it never really meshed the way it probably should have. And like, you know what? Peace be unto you. I'm out. Right. Like I, I just take the high road and just bow out because I just don't, I don't deal with drama well at all Um, because it's either going to be like it's really going to annoy me and it's going to be on my mind or I'm just going to go off. That is, are you like my spirit? I was like, it's either going to end in silence or a chalk outline. Like, like, you fucking decide. Exactly. So it's like, I I, I don't even bother with it. But I 
have been, particularly in these last two projects, with Welcome to the Path and then with businesses, because Welcome to the Path is a book of business, um, but then also Love Dot. I've been very blessed to be able to lean on people who I've built relationship with, either through work, which I think is a beautiful thing when it comes to being a black creative or black in a creative space um, where you're working full time in, you know, non black environment, so to speak, you find your little cohort at work and there's some respectability that's built there. Mm -hmm. And I've literally leaned on a lot of people that I've worked with in the past to say like, Hey, I got this idea. Um, can I either pay you or could you be a part of it? And they've been absolutely amazing to work with, which is funny because sometimes it's like, well, do you really bring kind of those work relationships outside of work and bring them into like something personal that you're doing? I have not had a problem with that thus far. And a lot of it is because I feel like we just have a mutual respect. We, mm-hmm. There's an understanding of, well, we're all minorities. Right. <laughs> right, which is the first thing. Like, everybody that's a minority we're don't know that they are together. a minority. Right. And then we're in this together. And then, two, it's like I'm big on when people go out on a limb and help me out, I'm always trying to find or being on a lookout for them and different opportunities that can, like, set them up like I don't believe that I have to hold hide my hand because I'm keeping something back from you exactly what's meant to be yours is is yours Mm -hmm. quite frankly I've had moments where I've literally had to give up opportunities like you know what I'll be honest with you it's great that this is coming I got too much on my plate but I you know person next over here right I think would be perfect for it and given the fact that you know these folks are folks that have really showed up for me like what? What? What else can I do? I appreciate. Like, this is a sense of appreciation for what's happening. So the collaboration for me has been really. The moments I've had have been really great and phenomenal. Like case in point, the exchange. Sean worked his ass off on the exchange, mm-hmm. right? Like I had no money to pay him. We would try to enter like all these different contests and like awards to see whether or not we can actually drum up some at least some capital, winning to be right. some capital. Um, applying for grants and stuff like that, but it was literally just two people coming together, me with a concept, him with being able to come to the table, bring all of his creative energy to say like, hey, this is the best, this is how we should execute it, and literally collaborating in that way, right? right? Like, did we always probably have the same alignment in terms of how things should be? No, but there's a give and take. You're mutually coming to the table and bringing the best of yourselves and to make things happen. And conflict can be healthy. It's not, that's, we forget that. It's, it's a part of the creative process. It is, and it's healthy when there's no ego right. attached to it, right? Like, I know what I'm good at, I know what I'm not. Also know that even if I'm not good at something, sometimes my opinions carry some weight in terms of maybe I'm seeing it from a different angle. Right. And I think once you realize and recognize that there are certain people that you have, a, there's a mutual respect there before you even start collaborating, it's going to be a good process. Exactly. Plain and simple. Now, what I've also learned is that a lot of folks that are out here in this lovely city that are moving and shaking ain't the people that you need to be collaborating with. First of all, you can't be always on a scene and doing shit. It just don't Ezekiel work like that. Ezekiel chapter 12 verses 105. I'm done. Because I can like... tell you stories from other people, other groups that I've worked with, who are doing big things and have tried, not from here, not from Chicago, but are making imprints in Chicago and have been very active and trying to bring people who are from here mm-hmm. to the table and make it a collaborative effort. And because there's one too many egos in a room, 
it has never really worked. Or people who seem to be in these positions where they can actually help and are doing these great things and have these are the heads of these different, you know, entrepreneurial efforts. You bring them to the table to help and they disappoint. Right. And I have had a front row seat because I've done consulting with some of these groups and I'm just like, wow, I would have never guessed that person would have let you down like that, the way they right. kind of move. Right. So being There's able to nothing worse than realizing your heroes ain't perfect. Not even the hero, but you know, just heroes like con- is just like, yeah. just that concept of like, really? Right. Like I thought you were better than this. The amount of energy that certain folks put into appearing to be a certain way. You put that same energy into actually, into actually being, being it. That, yes. You'd be the shit. But I, I think, yeah, tongue tie. You can't even, I can't even, I should say, put it into words in terms of how, for me, that was actually something that was like making me so annoyed because mm-hmm. I am a passionate person. And I think the thing is, I go into everything treating somebody like they have the pure intentions that I yep. have coming into it. And yep. so I think what, entrepreneurship has taught me especially with building joy has Mm -hmm. questions is not everyone's going to do right by you nope but it's not a reflection on you it is truly a reflection on them and you need to move smarter Mm -hmm. you know and and also it has really helped build i should say my patience because i don't know if it's like this for you but for me it's like I naturally just want to pop off on somebody. Like, if someone says something to me, I naturally just want to cut them quick. Like, I got a real sharp mouth. Yeah. And so, it's really helped me to be like, you know what? I might get this two seconds Mm -hmm. of gratification by Mm -hmm. telling them where they can jackknife off the top of the Mm -hmm. Hancock building. But who knows who they know? Or who knows how that story will be told? And so, it's a matter of, let me just keep my cool. Know that I've clocked you. Yep. And not block my karma. Yep. I have become, you know, a part of this is like just being on a, a deeper and richer spiritual journey mm-hmm. of trying to learn how just to let things go. I feel like Ooh, the yeah. only space where that's not probably working as effectively as I want it to work is when I'm dealing in like non-black spaces. Um, and even then, I feel like I'm much better than what I've ever been, mm-hmm. but I'm also much more vocal than I've probably ever been in my life in terms of just not necessarily speaking up for myself because I feel like I've always done that, but just having a confidence to know and not doubt myself so much where it's like, one, I walk into, I don't really feel like I have a lot to prove. I don't feel like people need to prove themselves all the time when they walk into different spaces that they're not traditionally in, right? Because I don't feel like our counterparts are held to that same standard. I'm not even going to go there. Right. And so I, like, this whole spiritual, and I'm not saying it to be, like, cliche or anything, but just the older I get, the more I want to be, like, walk in my purpose and not allow, like, a lot of the factors of the outside world to, like, have a imprint on how I see myself or how I see what I can do or even how other people see me. Like, what, how you, what you see of me, what you think of me is none of my business. Exactly. At all. I'm not about to go to bed at night worried about whether or not you like me or not. Like, I'm not, I mean, it's just, I'm, we're not in high school. I know high school never ends, but it's ended for me. Ah. I have not had a huge challenge with collaborating in the city. I've seen other people have huge challenges, but at the same time, I like to kind of 
I feel like a lot of the people I wound up collaborating with the most effectively have not necessarily been from Chicago. Huh. They live here, not necessarily from Chicago. Ooh, child, that's, yeah. that's a whole episode in itself. Um, slightly pivoting for a second, because mm-hmm. I'm like, we could talk all night. Um, in terms of your personal and balancing all these passions and balancing mm-hmm. the consulting work that you've done and working at times in corporate America, and now you have Love Died, which is your other brand that you're building on top of Welcome to the Path mm-hmm. and the Exchange. How do you balance like your personal life and maintain your sanity? Yeah, well, it's been probably a little bit of a challenge. I have to learn how not to... So let me put it like this. I actually enjoy work in terms of working on things that I care about. Mm-hmm. So it bleeds over a lot. I do find balance in just kind of making sure I'm carving out time, but I'm not perfect at it. I think that one of the points where I feel the most guilty is just making time for people that I care about, friends, family. Um, That's been difficult. And a lot of it is because you're doing all this stuff. You're trying to carve out time. Schedules are not aligning. I feel like we're in a culture now. You have to schedule everything. Yeah. Like you have to schedule your time with your friends. You have to schedule the time with your family. And now question, is that a cultural thing or the culture we're in, or is that adulting? I, but I think adulting is a concept of modern day culture. Okay. Good point. Yeah. Right. Like that part is where I struggle because coming from a place where of, of loss, like I've lost a lot of people that are very close to me in a very short period of time. Mm-hmm. I lost my grandparents almost back to back a couple months later, I lost an uncle. And then like literally a year later, I lost my mom. Right. Oh. And so that was like a huge chunk of my family, like my foundation Your identi- yeah. and my identity that was gone in a very short period of time. And it had me and it continuously has me wondering and pondering where am I putting my energies? Are they in the right places? Mm-hmm. Right. Because loss is loss and it's hard, especially like it's one thing to lose a friend. It's one thing to lose I wouldn't even say I don't know about losing a significant other, but like a friend or like a, a family member that is not immediate family. But when you lose people that are super close to you, they've known you all Ooh, your life. Yeah, that's a different type of pain. It's a different type of pain. It's a different type of reflection too, because then you're always kind of going back to those moments of like, could you have done something different? Mm-hmm. Could you have spent more time? That moment where, because you never think about the good times. Well, you do, but not in the early days. Like you're always thinking about the things you could have done different. Right. And so it always leads me now to be very conscious, especially now that I feel like I'm kind of coming out of that grief period Mm -hmm. of not falling too far into the trap of where I was before, which is like pushing, 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 trying to make things happen, doing the things that I claim I love, investing time into things that don't at the end of the day really matter. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah, you can have all these ambitions and do all these amazing things, but Thank you. Um, of your, course, <laughs> but your um, your real purpose in this life is like, what type of human are you gonna be? What type of impact are you having on people around you? Right? What's the meme I love so much? It's like, if you die tomorrow, your job's gonna put it's up still, uh, for hire, <laughs> like sign, like probably not even acknowledge the fact that you're gone. Right. right. Like, so we have a new role right. opening up in Chicago. Like, really? Maybe you get some flowers sent to your house. Okay. Maybe that insurance that you got will pay out from your job as well as whatever private insurance you have. But at the same time, is it really worth the things that you put your energy into now? Are they really worth it? Yeah. Right. So I constantly have to remind myself and ask myself that question because there is some type of like 
feeling of reward or like pride in being able to see things that you are working on come to life. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, is that really what I'm supposed to be doing? Is that in itself? Like the fact that I'm like almost like prideful of this thing. Is that even like of Christ, so to speak? And I'm not trying to go down like the super religious no, no, part, I get that. but it, it does make you reflect on what are your real values, right? Because those relationships are the ones that really matter. They're the ones that sustain you. And I would never want to be in a place where the people who really matter in my life, they're trying to get my attention and it's somewhere else. Right. Like, and I feel like it took a lot of loss to get to a place of reflecting on like, where are you really putting your time? So I think where that starts to kind of play out and how I approach things slightly differently is that now I'm putting less pressure on myself to get things done according to this fake and this fictitious timeline that I've set for myself. Mm-hmm. If it gets done tomorrow versus a week from now, that's fine. Right. Because at the end of the day, it's like, it's still about forward progression. Right. And that's all that matters. And I can't be in this like highlight reel type of reality where I'm all about like showing things to the world versus actually living and experiencing life with the things that really matter, which is about the people that you love. I think that's the biggest, especially like you were talking about the culture that we're in, because then it's just like the fact of, okay, well, our culture, if you didn't snap it, if you didn't IG it, it didn't happen. And sometimes I still, like, I'll catch myself, Mm -hmm. I'll be in an event, and I know that I'm doing, like, I've gotten Mm -hmm. over the issue of, like, I look crazy, people don't know what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. But then it is just like, did I walk down a road where it's like, now I'm always going to have to be letting others know what Where this you experience at? What you're doing? is with this experience is, versus yeah. having the experience girl. So that was a conversation I had to constantly have myself a month ago. So I got invited on a trip by a girlfriend of mine, her and her girlfriends annually get together and do a big trip. Mm-hmm. And so this year the trip was to Greece. It was for her birthday celebration and we all went now, first of all, it was a miracle in my mind. I'm like, oh, I'm going on a trip with pretty much like half the women I don't necessarily know. Right. <laughs> right. Um, but it proved to me that black women can get together and barely know each other and all be bosses and mm-hmm. vibe out. We had an amazing time. Like I have friend, lifelong friends now. Like we were planning the next trip for next like, year. Like when are we doing this again? Right. Like we, this WhatsApp group has not been, <laughs> has not stopped since we got back, gotten back. But in those moments of being on that trip, we went to Greece. We went to three different places. It was amazing. I had to catch myself not to constantly feel like I need to be taking a picture, taking a picture. Whether it's my camera or my phone or being on Instagram or whatever. Like I feel like I shared a lot. And part of it was like, well, if I share one platform, then I can just download it and have it. Yeah. But I had to also remember, like, wait a minute. You're going to be gone tomorrow. You're not going to be here tomorrow. So, yeah, you can experience all of this through the lens of your phone. And it wasn't even so much about showing people where I was. It was about capturing it. Because I'm like, oh, I want to be able to go back and relive it. But I'm Mm -hmm. like, well, but are you taking away in these moments of trying to capture something? Are you taking away from living in the moment right now? Right. Right? Like, there's only so much that you can do to be able to capture and share out and, like, put a moment in a bottle and and keep it as, as a keepsake. Like, you just can't live like that and it was so many moments I'm like my whole point of even wanting to like be here is to have a moment where I am just not doing anything I've had a busy year already I've had a lot of stuff going on 
you deserve a moment to just literally be here and look at the at the sea or look at the sky and just decompress. Right. There's no camera by you. It's just you, a bunch of people, a bunch of friends, great conversation. And that's all you need, right? Like, we got to get off of this sense of, like, we have to show that our lives are cool. And we I have to show that like we're culture. definitely down on it. Like, we are in a space where the technology, we are the most, we have every app every you know opportunity mm-hmm. to educate it's still ourselves dumb as hell and i feel like we're in a space now where we are the most ignorant than the human more race ignorant has than ever anything been. else and i look at it and i'm like just mobile adoption you know digital adoption is like through the roof no matter where you are in the you world. can't avoid it you can't avoid it at all and the fact that there's just a lack of knowledge and understanding from anyone, right? Like, I, it's, I always find it funny, like, even sometimes the most educated people seem the most ignorant about even their own roots. Mm-hmm. Or the folks that literally have no education have a phone in their hand, but the only thing that they can remember or think to even Google or YouTube is the most ignorant shit you've ever seen in your life instead of being curious about what else is out there. I think it goes back to one central truth is you don't know what you don't know. And there's a very small percentage of people who will be willing to say, well, I don't know that. Or I know there's something else out there that I'm not familiar with that I don't know. Let me go and discover. Let me go and explore. Let me be curious enough to ask those questions, even if they make me feel stupid. Right? That's not a natural human inclination, even though a lot of people want to pretend like it is. That's just not naturally how a lot of people are wired to, to do and think. So it's like, yeah, we got Google. Thank God for Google. You got access to the most robust library the world has ever experienced. And we are still living in a climate and a culture where people are just completely ignorant to the world. Yeah. I think um, it's scary. Like, I mean, I feel like I'm living in a world of To Be a Slave by Julius Luster, 1985 by George Orwell, a sprinkling of Fahrenheit 451, and a whole ass several chapters of Handmaid's Tale. (laughs) Like, in one experience, like mm-hmm. we are totally moving into like a fat, I mean, a fascist regime. And I mean, moving into, we are in it. This is like to... the chickens coming home to roost. It so totally is. And it's not just the U.S. If you look at countries across the world, Brit- the developed Brexit. world, even in Japan, like the sense of going back to a nationalist identity because it's human nature. Right. Race is a construct that was created by the powerful to keep people in their place. Exactly. Because even when you look at the history of America, poor white people and poor black people had no stake in the game. I, but you, you put can race convince. on top of that to make one elevate and feel like they're better than the other to keep this one population down. Right. And when in not- actuality, I'm like, the powers that be, the Jefferson Davises of the world, have mm-hmm. never given a single gas or liquid fuck about those who were poor and disenfranchised. Yeah. If anything, the only thing they cared about was keeping their power. And the only way to do it when you were in a minority position of being the powerful, when the majority can rise. There's a leader in Nigeria, and I cannot think of his name. Oh my God, I cannot believe it is escaping me right now. But he is one of the governors of um, one of the southeastern states. And he made a comment that he's fearful of the poor. Because, I mean, you know anything about, like, most African countries? Highly corrupt. The second everybody... A, you know, Did you ever see A Bug's Life? 
back in the day. Yeah. Okay, so I have a ridiculous memory. And also, like, I just, I am ready for Disney. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, God, take my money. But basically, the whole premise, clearly, like, the grass, I can't believe I'm about to do this, but it's the best analogy I can mm-hmm. possibly use. So, like, these grasshoppers always got these ants running around talking about some. we offer you, basically, they muscle them. Like, we offer you protection from bigger bugs. Right. Y'all got to give us this harvest every year. Okay. And so, long story short, so a whole bunch of bullshit happened. They didn't have the harvest ready, and the main grasshopper, the bad bitch in charge, he was just like, y'all got one more opportunity uh-huh. to get this right. So, he leaves with his little, you know, bad girls club pack or whatever, mm-hmm. and they all kicking it. And so some of the grasshoppers are like, well, why do we have to go back? Like, we should just kick it here. And so he threw a seed at him. He's like, does that hurt? He's like, no. Nah. He's like, what about this one? And they're still laughing at him. He's right. like, no, it doesn't hurt. He opens up the thing and basically, like, drowns them in food. Like, he just let the whole thing. He was like, how about that? He was like, these ants outnumber us. Right. 15 to 1. Right. And if they ever realize that, there goes our way of living. Yep. Now, this is a Disney movie. But, but it's an analogy that, of life. You see it, it play literally out in every the country. versus the poor. Yes. If they ever realize yes. that they have been hoodwinked by our bullshit, they are going to all French Revolution yep. our asses. Yep. That's and you know honestly, it even goes back to like something like that is such a strategic, like, art of war type scenario. Mm-hmm. That if you apply it to even how do you today like what does modern day protest really look like to be able to stand up for your rights and make a real impact? When Chicago it's shut not down, boy kind Gucci. Thank you. But when Chicago shut down Michigan Avenue on Black Friday, I was applauding. Because at the end of the day, I get tired of the conversations that I had of like, well, so we boycott, what does it matter? Do you realize the power of your dollar? The world is not black and white. This world is green. green. And if you literally, between black people across the diaspora living here in this country, taking their dollars out of this economy, and I don't also believe that we're only 13% of the population, I'll talk about that in a minute, but just taking (laughs) your dollars out of this economy, and if you even got a fragment of the Latinx community to follow, you will put a lot of these companies on their knees. Especially at retail, especially around the holidays because it's the only time they're in the black. Not and even being funny. the fact that people can't understand the economics of that, H&M and it's a poor man's mindset. I know that. They Two have to pull co- stores out of a lot of different markets. I mean, the store on State Street had literally clothed me since I was like 15 years mm-hmm. old, you know? And the thing is, like, one day I just looked up and they were gone. And that whole coolest monkey in the gym, ju- jungle mm-hmm. um, controversy that they had, they already were struggling being, you know, a retailer in a digital landscape. Clearly, everyone's using... Fast fashion is, is slowly dying out. Yeah. Because there's only so much that you can turn over a product and people are going to be able to respond reasonably purchase that from that same retailer every season. Back in the day, and I say back in the day loosely, meaning <laughs> that up until maybe, what, 2004, did you actually go shopping every single year? Yeah. Exactly. But now that's the whole model that these industries are based on. Okay, you got these things coming out on the runway. We're going to knock it off real quick. Yep. And now it's you you can look like that celebrity. Tomorrow. Tomorrow. And that means that they're constantly trying to get more and more out of your pockets. The problem is 
You got too many Chinese retailers popping up doing the same thing online. You have too many other models popping up, other smaller suppliers popping up. And now you go to Amazon, you're looking for a basic white dress that looks like something that you saw on the catwalk. You can get it from about 50, the same dress from 50 different manufacturers. I'll tell you something. I am giving Boohoo my good hard-earned American dollars because at the end of the day, I just paid, it was a bomb ass dress I had on yesterday, uh-huh. paid $16 for it, fit amazing. And I'm yeah. like, and this would have been something at Zara easily going for 60, 70. Oh yeah. I'm oh, not yeah. doing it. And yeah. I think even when we're talking about, you know, the retail aspect or the power of our, our dollar or unity, it, you're absolutely right that we would definitely have our way if that was something that everyone, you know, finally said, fuck the yeah. bullshit, we're not dealing with yeah. it. But then- I always have said this. People have confused right. Race is not a strategy in this. It's a tactic. It is. It is. Race is a tactic it because is a tactic. it's a, and that to me just you have to understand like overall brand. If America is a brand, mm-hmm. I'm like the That's strategy the is import. how to keep the money. Yep. The tactics that are used: mm-hmm. politics, yep. entertainment, race. Inequities, oh, yeah. disrespect. Those are the tactics that are. It's no different than any other marketing plan. It's not. It's and not. even when you think about the bylaws of a company, that is the constitution. So whenever I hear white men saying that, we are. You're never going to die out. Right. You have the oldest document too. You had Bill of Rights and amendments and all that this we're other still stuff. living by as if it was meant to be a static document. That's the thing about the Constitution, and even the Bible, that kills me. Like people really take these documents as verbatim. This is exactly how we should be like living, and I'm like, these are guidelines. Pri- principles you, are principles not laws. Are not. Thank you. And I'm like, you cannot. Even if we look at the institutions that we hold so dear, they were rooted in racism. We're in a very different state of mind. And so how do we still align to these things as if they're Bible? I didn't even know up until a certain point that the Star Spangled Banner even had a third stanza. Oh, yeah. I didn't even realize up until a certain point that the writer was a good Caucasian racist. He was... was, yeah. He was like, if we catch you, you are not dealing with the laws of, you know, what would happen in yep. a normal battle, you know, type situation mm-hmm. where there's no prisoners of war here with you. Not at all. And that's the thing where it's just like, so when people, I, I really am at the point where we're talking about calling things out. And I, don't, I think that's also like what I love about your platform. At a certain time and at a certain age, ignorance is a pathetic excuse. Yep. And it is your willful choice yep. to not make a difference. Yep. Because you can't tell me in a world that has given us every type of gadget, every type of reminder, every type of whatever, and then turn around and act like we're in the Stone Age when it comes to social disparities. Either we live in in the most modern time that humanity has ever had, yep. with we can literally go to whatever search engine that we want to utilize. But yet, oh my God, I've never heard of Benjamin Banneker. Because you, you don't want to. You don't want to. You don't to. want to. And that's the challenge that I have to a lot of my white counterparts. You can't, like, 
when you are a minority in this country, you are forced to live in two worlds. You are forced to understand of two. what mainstream is, even if you are influencing mainstream. I got to know friends right. as well as living single. I, I need to know all of these things. You're almost inundated with it. I can't tell you how many conversations I have around The Bachelor. I don't even watch that shit. Can't stand it. Think it's really like completely like the most archaic shit ever from, but it's a topic I of conversation, like and I understand how the flow of love and hip hop. I don't know, but <laughs> I, I, I can't stand that shit either. But even though I will sometimes get sucked into watching I did it, see but my point is, is that like even these points of reference that I at least will tiptoe around and be able to go back and say, okay, well everybody's talking about, it. let me just at least check it out. You're almost forced to do it because it's such a part of your day to day, right? There's not the reciprocal at all. Because no matter where you are, if you are educated minority in this country, you have to deal with what that power structure looks like. There are very few places that we own where we can be completely insulated and run our own thing and not have to deal with the pressures of the outside world. It is not the same thing for my friends in grad school or my colleagues that I love. They don't have to deal with it in the same way. They can literally go throughout the entire day if they want to and not have to deal with the inequities that we deal with. They don't have to think about being accountable. They don't have to think about... They don't even have to think about what it really means to be sometimes a white woman or a white man. Mm Mm-hmm. Or just to exist. Because you're the standard. Right. When you live in a world of being the standard and then it's like anything that makes you remotely step out that bubble, it's like you you freak out and you break break down with it. Exactly. I mean, that's the whole point of looking at, like, so you see that come to life so much when you're dealing with or you're in spaces that are, like, going anywhere on West Africa particularly, because Southern right. Africa is a little different. But when you are literally living in a world where everybody looks like you, obviously they have their own issues. That's a whole different set of, like, disparities and inequities. But there's no sense that I have to think about what it means to be, you know, a black person, a Nigerian person, because you don't have that same delineation of what it means to be different based on at least appearance Mm -hmm. alone, right? That is just not there. And that's a powerful, powerful tool. You don't realize it until you get into a room and you see how people move differently. You really don't. And so like, I, the more I think about it, it's like, we have to get to a place where we have to stop allowing ourselves to be mentally poor. Yeah. Poverty of the mind is the worst detriment to us. And we also have to get to a place where we have to remember nobody's going to teach your history. History of black history, Latin history, his Latinx community, that history in this country is a part of the fabric of American culture. That is American history. Nobody Do not call about. out black history like it's a separate thing. Right. Because it is not. The entire constitution is based on us. Three-fifths of a person, how you define the electoral college, that shit is based on us. Right. Plain and simple. You cannot separate our stories from the mainstream stories. Or when you want to sit here now and be like, well, all the Mexicans need to go back. And that's the thing where it's like, let's, number one, logically think about this, right? Mm-hmm. If we're looking at our GDP, which in majority... No one knows. Like, no one knows how the economics of this country work. Right. So if you're even looking at GDP, all of our shit is outsourced for the most part. You cannot... Okay, so did you hear a news story recently that Apple, so the new Mac Pros, Mm -hmm. 
a couple of years ago, they had switched manufacturing to here in Austin, Texas. So, like, whether parts were coming from different places, they were actually building the computers here in Austin, Texas. Mm-hmm. Now, for the new um, version or additions that are coming Ideation, out, yeah. they're coming out of, they're going back to China. They're all going to be produced in China. And essentially, it got boiled down to one reason. Economies of scale and, and costs. It is I so am a much business. All of these... This, Thank you. It's about profitability. All of these different component parts. I was making it for $5 there. I'm not making it for 40 and here. Then, and, and also all those resources are coming from those parts of the world. When mm-hmm. you start to look at supply chain and how quickly you're able to assemble and get things to market. It's there. It's there, right? It's not here. If we actually had moments where every Hispanic American left this country. And all these jobs that nobody wants, that everybody claims that they take and right. blah, 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 blah. Take- Do you realize how crippling, and I'm not putting, relegating anyone to like these lesser than statuses, mm-hmm. but the point is, the arrogance of thinking that- Everyone's job has a purpose, and everyone has But in honor. everybody's lack of job that is not being taxed and accounted for, right. actually is fueling this economy in some way. We live in a world where literally the people who can afford the most to pay it don't have to, and the people who cannot pay it at all- Pay you over can't what they talk should. talk about, oh, the job market's doing better. Not if I have six jobs, Prescott. That's no, not no, it's helping not. my ass. Because like, what's happening, you're wearing your body down. Now you're becoming a liability on the healthcare system. Right. Because you're probably also underinsured. And mind you, a healthcare system I can't even afford because we have now made a cost for asthma and for COPD and for a heart and everything exam. else. When I even looked at the breakdown of a emergency room visit that I had to have a nebulizer treatment. And when yeah. I looked at the breakdown, I was just... Honestly, so disgusted that someone had itemized shit that if I hadn't taken care of it, could have killed me. You can go days without food. You can go 48 hours without water. Uh You can go minutes without air. Right. How does that work? Yeah, it's crazy. And I think that's the biggest thing. Like when, when I look at the society, you know, that we live in, like, a lot of times the debate is like, oh, we've lost our humanity. I'm kind of just like... I don't think we ever had it. I don't think we had it. Yeah. I think the thing is, as much as people like to say, like, oh, you know, humans are good. Well, there is goodness about us. But the thing is, human beings are selfish. And human beings... That is a natural state of being a human. It is. You are always thinking about right. self. And even when you look at religious structures and their authentic, their purest sense, the whole point the whole teaching is to teach you how to be less about yourself right and more about the world about whatever power that it is that you believe in and it's that's just pretty not, much how to not get in your own damn way exactly which the world we live in what, oh, what do you mean no right um so even just you know lastly wrapping up we totally were just like let's have this life moment real yeah, quick i love it um in terms of looking, I, it is July 2nd. Like, oh, yeah. we are five months away from 2020. That shit just blows my mind. But when we're looking, you know, forward into mm-hmm. time, what is it that you are looking to, you know, maybe accomplish by the end of the year? I already know you gave me the link for your event. I'm like, I'm going. Um, yes. But, yeah, with yourself, with your brand, with your family, like, what are some of those to-do lists that, you know, you now feel you can confidently achieve? Yeah, so we kind of hinted around this one, but um, launching a new platform as a global retail 
marketplace called Love Dot. And it's really focused on bridging the gap between kind of culture, style, and being able to really work with artisan brands Mm -hmm. from different countries and bringing them into one place where you can find quality premium products, particularly in the fashion accessories and eventually lifestyle space and be able to shop those products in one particular space. Right. So it's connecting the diaspora in a really uh, interesting way, which is what I'm really passionate about. Um, being able to expand the definition of what quality and premium and, you know, like high-end products really looks like and what, who those artisans are that actually are bringing them to life. Um, and also just kind of connecting people to interesting places around the world where these things are actually being created, right? Mm-hmm. Whether it's ABBA in Southwest East Nigeria or um, Padova, Italy, or just these little enclaves of craftsmanship and talent that need to be a part of a more global conversation. So that is a platform, lovedot.co. Um, we are now also, as of last weekend, in a pop-up retail space in Lincoln Park called The Guild. Ooh. Yes, so it's all uh, about 20 different sustainable brands from global, um, with a global bend to them. So some of them are from different parts of the world. Um, some of them are just literally sustainable eco-friendly brands that have been around for a little while and we're all in one place and love dot is going to be there all summer 19 yeah our launch amazing. party is on the 16th of july at 1445 west webster which is exactly where the guild is and so we're just really really excited to be able to get this off the ground um, and really grow it into something that is going to be a destination for people not to just shop but to actually shop with purpose because we have a charitable arm to everything that we do so every percentage of percentage of all all of our sales go to a particular charity that we outline per quarter, but then also discover something interesting about a different place in the world and use something as trivial as fashion and style to connect people to more interesting oh, conversations, right? Fashion is so powerful. And to connect people, to mm-hmm. bring the human, the human factor, the humanity out of us so that our dollars go further and we stop having these very frivolous conversations around Equity. like an H&M or a Zara Versus, you know, supporting. Burberry just made a new shirt. I don't wear that shit. So I don't know what to tell you. Like, you can actually tell a story and, like, have the things that you buy actually have an impact on someone else's life. So that's number one. Super happy to be getting that off the ground. Yes. Um, And then some other ventures that, like, we're really thinking about, which is less about, like, having, like, sustainable businesses, but, like, I just really want to bring my passions to life. And one of the other things I've been talking about for a long time is I have a a, a huge part of me really loves mentoring, particularly working with kids, um, particularly teenagers, which are not quite kids, not quite adults, but really all the knowledge that I have, things I would have done differently at Mm -hmm. that age, being able to give back in some way. So... One of the things that have always been top of mind um, for me is I want to be able to craft products, meaning that write books, tell stories that are going to be impactful, particularly to kids of color, teenagers of color, young people of color, to help them connect the dots and have a stronger sense of self and sense of identity. So me and my sister-in-law, one of the things we want to do is just kind of put together a series of books that both connect 
younger kids and the parents can lean into that connects them to different stories across the diaspora or just bringing elements of who we are and our roots to the forefront so your abcs don't need to be about you know (laughs) boats and cats it can be about you know mangoes and like you Mm -hmm. know other things that i Botswana. thank you or just learning the fact that there needs to be an opportunity for you to actually know you know, Africa is a continent, not a country mm-hmm. and things that are relevant because these things are not being taught. Your history is not being taught. So being able to figure out exactly, and we're in the process of doing that, like what our first kind of short form storybooks are going to be. Yeah. Um, that really highlight us in a different way that and parents can lean into. And as daughters was my everything. Yeah. And so I, I really want to be able to tell stories in a very interesting way for another generation. That's a passion point of mine. And everything that I do has leans in on connecting the diaspora, leans in on being able to tell more powerful and enriching stories that highlight us, our mm-hmm. melanin, in a very different and impactful and enlightening way. But then obviously has a purpose to it. I want to be able to help or in Spire in some way. So that is the other kind of side project that is truly a side project. Yeah, we'll be able to make money off of it, but it's just something to kind of pour into. Um, from a career perspective, this is going to sound crazy because now it sounds like I'm doing way too much. <laughs> One of the other things, like I do, I mentioned it before, I do really love being in the advertising creative space. So we're trying to work, we, I'm trying to work on landing like a small adjunct role somewhere just to be able to dive in deeper and just be in front of hopefully um undergraduate students particularly those of color to give them a sense of teaching the next generation about their greatness exactly and then you know a huge part of me for this upcoming year of just thinking through like all this other you know interesting ambitious professional stuff that I want to do that's great but I also have to focus on me yeah. So self-care. One of the things that I am very passionate about is giving myself permission to take time for me. Giving myself permission to carve out ten percent of my day to do things that are gonna be impactful to me and my body. So meditation, working out and not for a vanity purpose of oh I need to lose some weight. Yes, I do need to lose weight, but that is not the reason why. Um trying to eat cleaner, be a little bit more mindful of like what the connection between your body and food, mm-hmm. right? Like it's, that's a very spiritual conversation even in itself, right? Because what we lean into in those moments of frustration is something that's always tangible. And sometimes you just got to be able to mentally be strong enough to step back and say, you know, I don't need that ice cream because it's just a comfort, a coping mechanism for something. And I mean, now you got nasty ass kids licking it anyway. Sorry, that girl. What did happened? You, you didn't see the video? No. Oh, she's about to get charged. Like, okay, there's... wait, 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 wait. You gotta, yeah, educate me. I don't know what happened. Oh, sorry. I just messed up all your emotional part. Basically, this little nasty heifer walked into a grocery store with her little raggedy ass friend and proceeded to take the lid off of a blue bin, uh, bluebell gallon of ice cream. And, you know, typically ice cream has, like, you know, yeah, the yeah, protective yeah, the, yeah. Right. Bluebell doesn't. She licked it. And put it back? And put it back. And was laughing. And it's a big joke and everything. And now Bluebell is working with local authorities to, to charge her. her. Mind you, food tampering in Texas is a, a felony. Yeah. So I'm like, 
see how being an idiotic person will ruin your life. Like, it's, and everyone on social media been telling on her. She lives in this house. She were, just wow. walked outside with a yellow t-shirt on. Y'all could come pick her up right now. Girl, I'm gonna stick to this Ben and Jerry's vegan ice cream because I can't, I can't roll Snickerdoodle like that. Snickerdoodle is wow. from Soy Milk is my my bomb. So yes, that for me was very triggering because it's just like, what is wrong with people? We go oh through enough, God. and you over here for likes and for sensationalism. Like for people who have actual, like if you have lupus, yeah, and someone does that. You already have a, a compromised nice immune, immune system, system. Yeah. and you didn't sat there and now potentially done something to someone. Your germs are truly for your body and the people that you are most intimate and close to. That's how you the get common sense and common decency is at an all time low, and that's also one of the many reasons why, like, I really do try to give my time to talking to young folks and making it a part of like just my outward mission of just being accessible and a mentor and checking particularly the the kids from high school I, I used to mentor with a group um through national black nba and all the students in that group were high school students that have mm-hmm. now grown up and like in college or graduated college and i'm still on ig when i see them and they do something i don't like i check them in a heartbeat I already and it's not a matter of like trying to be mama Police bear them, or policing right. or whatever it's like there's a level of respectability that you need to have and common sense that I need you to have. Quite frankly, a lot of that is being lost in the world and I need you to rise above the, above the grain. So that right there is a good example because for right now, people have no morals. They're doing things for the likes. Licking food and, in stores and, and putting cute. it back. Now, don't get me wrong. I've eaten grapes before, but that was just to test them. And then I realized... If they're worth your dollars, yes. Exactly. Cherries are the most expensive Expensive. summer fruit. I'm not about to get some sour cherries. Life is full of sour stuff already. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so yeah, that's that's me. Like, the business thing, getting out off the ground, um, figuring out what, you know, is next with Welcome to the Path and the Exchange, which I have... Definitely kind of slow down on a little bit, trying to like once again do a bit of a pivot and reassess in terms of what we're trying to do. And then just really pouring my passions into these other things, but then also making sure I'm being very intentional about carving out time for myself and my family because I am married and I still have to act like I have a husband at home. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. um, and, you know, like just making time for the things that really matter and being consistent with that, which right. is always the challenge for anybody. I, on that note, like, I cannot thank you enough, my love, for coming on to the show. Thank you for having me. Thank you, like, for actually getting me back in the swing of things. Like, I just feel, like, so amped, so ready to go. Like, you truly are inspirational in terms of, like, just marching to the beat of your own drum and being true to yourself and really accepting the fact you don't have to like just one thing. You can be a bomb-ass individual and have all these different talents, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. So, Kudos to you, my love. Thank you. I am, yes, just really, really excited to see what you have next. Definitely will be there on July 16th to come out and support. Um, You know I love spending money, so I'm like, hey, let me get some specialized accessories and whatnot. We'll be good to go. Awesome. So everybody, this is my first motivational message for season two. And I think the thing that I really just wanted to focus on this week was stop setting expectations on people. Now, I don't mean this as a jab to anyone. I think at the end of the day, 
we definitely look at our relationships versus, you know, our own lives or ourselves, I should say, in terms of what their actions were versus what we thought they should have done. Or sometimes when we fall short with our loved ones, uh, now like, well, I meant this, but not having the same sort of forgiveness or understanding when it's then done to you. I think the best thing I can possibly say I've learned and I'm looking at the current journey that I'm on in my life, is just stop setting expectations. Because the fact of the matter is people are going to fall short sometimes. It doesn't mean that they don't love you. They are leading their own lives. They have their own pressures. And I think if you look at the larger picture, you can't in one breath eradicate all of the love, all of the support, all of the times where they lifted you up and encouraged you because of the one moment in which they weren't there for you. That's something that I, I will say it's easier said than done. I'm constantly trying to work on it and, you know, not hold grudges or be passive aggressive. I'm the queen of like hiding all the season salt from somebody if you've gotten on my nerve. But outside of that, I think that's something that just really was on my spirit, really was something that I just wanted to share and discuss. There's nothing wrong with expressing when you're upset with someone, but just making sure that you're doing it out of love and so that you aren't holding on to those residual feelings of of disappointment and anger. So the relationship can continue to blossom because one day you just explode and don't nobody know why the fuck you were that upset because you couldn't find the crab cracker. And clearly it's a, a larger issue that's at play here. Honestly, you don't have anyone to blame but yourself because you didn't open your mouth and voice and speak to what it was that was bothering you. So when you stop setting these rigid expectations on your loved ones that you know damn well you wouldn't want someone setting on you because we're all imperfect and fall short of the glory of our Lord and Savior. Ooh, look at me being a slight Christian moment, hey. But if we have that sort of grace, you know, if we have that sort of, you know, um, forgiveness. I think that will really help us do a lot better with maintaining our own personal relationships. Let's move closer to our purpose, closer to our destiny, and closer to our happiness. Shigurjo has questions, and I hope everyone has an amazing rest of your week. Bye!